Well, we're in a series called Happy, and today I want to talk to you from this thought, a winning attitude, a winning attitude. Here's what I want to do today. I, I want to begin by giving you a quick review. Now, all of our messages are archived at peopleschurch.tv, so you can get online, watch the messages, listen to the messages. But I just want to have everybody kind of in step with me uh, today for, based on last week, just kind of connect the dots for you real quick. So the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians in 62 AD, and he wrote the book while he was in a Roman jail cell chained to a Roman soldier, a Roman prison guard, 24 hours a day. And most scholars would agree that the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. So on 14 different occasions, and depending on the translation, up to 16 different occasions, you, you find the word joy or rejoice in that short letter, just four chapters. Over and over, you see joy, rejoice. And so that's kind of the theme of the book of Philippians. And Paul actually doesn't focus on happiness. Paul realizes there is something more powerful. There is something that is more lasting there is something that is greater than happiness, and that is joy. You see, happiness comes and goes because happiness is based upon our circumstances. It's based on what is happening. That's why people can find happiness but can't seem to keep it. It just comes and goes. So you get a new car, you're happy. Car breaks down, you're unhappy. It's based upon circumstances. But joy is a deep down inner feeling of well-being. And, and joy, it comes from the Lord. Joy is not based upon circumstances. And last week I dove into that. I, I taught you last week how to attain joy. This joy that doesn't just come and go. We talked about that last week. And then I wrapped up the message last week by giving you Three keys to maintaining joy. How do you not only get it, but how do you maintain this joy of the Lord? And we looked last week and we said three things about maintaining the joy of the Lord. Number one, remember the good things God is doing. Number two, pray for other people. And then number three, remember God is doing a work. And so we looked at that. That was chapter one of Philippians. So today we're studying chapter two of Philippians, and what I want to do today is dive a little bit deeper into remember the good things God is doing. If you remember last week, if you were with us, I talked about how we cannot maintain joy if we're always focused on the negative. If you have a negative outlook on life, a negative perspective on life, you will not maintain the joy of the Lord. Our, our attitude matters. A negative attitude will not house and maintain the joy of the Lord. And uh, about four or five years ago, my, my wife and I, we were out to eat with some, some families in our church. And we were out to eat at a, at a restaurant. And just for context, if you don't know me well... I'm a, I'm a germaphobe, so I, I always wash in my hands. I got sanitizer everywhere, in my car, in my green room, in my offices. I just keep, I just always sanitize up. I'm just a germaphobe. I, I, I don't believe in double dipping. I, I, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says, do not double dip. I just do not believe in it. I, now, I will kiss my wife, but we do not double dip. If we have eaten chips and salsa and we you, you, you dip your chip in, take a bite, you eat the whole chip. You don't dip it back in the salsa. That's, that's a cause for marital problems. You know what I'm saying? 
So if we're having, you, you have water to drink, I've got water, we're at the restaurant with all of our children, our four children, and we're having a meal together, and, and you run out of water, and the waiter or waitress is taking us some time to come back to the table, and you've been eating, and you're really thirsty, I'm sorry. You can't drink, you, no, you can't have any of mine, I'm sorry. No, we, we says that is not what we do in the Cooper house. You cannot have a drink. I'm a germaphobe. And so we're at a restaurant four or five years ago where we're, we're eating with some friends and and I'm excited for the meal, and they're, they're bringing it out, and I'm getting ready to, to dive into my meal. And as I'm looking, I notice hair, a long piece of hair in my food. And all I could do is go, oh, my goodness. And, and I, just, I just complained the, the whole time we were at the I just, you know, I was, I'm just a germ, I'm obsessed over there was hair in my food. The whole conversation, the entire evening, the whole hour, I just kept saying, can you believe there was hair in my food? How do you think that hair got in my food? You think they did that on purpose? There's hair in my food. Can you believe there's hair in my food? They're talking about something else, and I go, did y'all, can you believe there was hair in my food? And I was just obsessed and complaining and negative over there was hair in my food. I was irritating the entire table. You know, they're rolling their eyes at each other. They're kind of doing little, little jokes to one another like, yeah, there's hair in his food. You know, they're, they're just they're irritated. Because you know what? My negative attitude was sucking the joy out of that table. It wasn't only just sucking the joy out of my life. It was sucking the joy out of their life. Herbert, get over that hair. I couldn't. My negative attitude suck the joy out of that dinner. And friends, if you have a negative attitude, it not only is it not a winning attitude, it will cause your joy to decrease. And what Paul does so beautifully in chapter number, tw- in chapter number two, he teaches us how to have a winning attitude. Because a winning attitude, don't miss this, here's the key to the message, a winning attitude is critical to maintaining the joy of the Lord. If you want to have joy in your life, A winning attitude is critical to maintaining the joy of the Lord. And Paul teaches us this in chapter 2. So today I want to give you two characteristics of a winning attitude so that you can maintain the joy of the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, joy is yours. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to teach you today how to maintain the joy of the Lord in Philippians 2. Let's dive in. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble two characteristics of a winning attitude. Be humble. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others too. You must have the, here it goes, the same attitude. Come on, all of our locations, everybody say, same attitude. attitude. We're looking at that today. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Christ Jesus had a winning attitude, and as his followers, as, as, as believers, as disciples, we're called to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And so it bears out, here's the question that we must, must answer today. What attitude did Christ Jesus have? This winning attitude. What, what kind of attitude did he have? Let, let's, let's, let's look at that today. Number one is this, a winning attitude is humble. A winning attitude is humble. Now, now, humble is a frequently used word in our culture, in our society. You hear people say, he is so humble. She's the most humble person I've ever known. But humble means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. 
And if we're going to maintain the joy of the Lord, we have to understand what the Bible says about humility. What, what, does, what does humility look like according to the Scripture? And as I share this with you, I want you to evaluate your own self. Are you humble or not? First thought is this, a winning, a, a, a humble attitude. Humble people are unifiers. They are unifiers. So the question is this, as you evaluate yourself, because Paul kind of gives us, as you read through Philippians chapter 2, you can kind of call it a humility test. Are you a unifier or a divider? Rank yourself. How humble are you? Between 1 to 10, 1 being I'm really, really humble, and 10 being I'm, I'm, I'm not humble at all. And if you today already ranked yourself as a 1, you're not very humble. I just want you to know that right now just so, just so you can stay with me today. So if you wake to 1, change it just, just, just to help you out. Notice what the Scripture says about how humble people are unifiers. Philippians 1, excuse me, Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if Christ has blessed you, your sins are forgiven, you have encouragement, you receive love, and you receive tenderness and compassion from Christ, he says, this ought to be your response, verse 2, then make my joy complete, my joy complete by how? Being like-minded, unifier. Having the same, same love, unifier. Being one in spirit, and of one mind, unifier. So, so Paul writes and he says this, that, that my joy will not be made complete if the church is not unified. If the church of Philippi it, it has, has division, he says my joy won't be complete. Division disrupts our joy. And one of the greatest struggles in our world today is disunity, division, and hate. People are divided and disunified, and there's division over all types of issues, things that you wouldn't think people would be divided over. People can have division and hatred over clothes, what kind of clothes that clothes people are wearing, or their hair color, or, or their, oh, you have tattoos? D division. Some of you didn't know I got tattoos all over my chest and all over my back, just tatted all everywhere. I'm just playing. I don't either, but I mess with some of you. Yeah, you're like... I just, I'm just proving a point. Am I coming back? Well, God bless you too. No, I don't have any, but that, that, the point is we just get divided. People are to get divided and hated over, over skin color. We've been seeing that in our nation, in our world, over somebody's race, over somebody's skin color. There's, there's division and hatred, even over sports teams. It's amazing how people will fight, try to hurt each other. I was at a Dallas Cowboys football game in Dallas about three or four years ago with some pastor friends, and it was against the Eagles. If you're an Eagles fan, God bless you today. And, and, but it was amazing. They were about to, literally, they were drinking, almost drunk. They were about to fight each other over 24 men carrying a brown little ball across some lines, and they were ready to kill each other, divided. Even in church, people get divided and hate each other. It's amazing how, how church folk can just get all messed up and not unified in one mind, having the same love, just divided over silly stuff. People get divided over neighborhoods. Well, I live in this neighborhood. What neighborhood do you live in? And, and, they, and we get divided. And even over schools, what school system are you in? What school are you And get divided. And if, we, if you constantly focus on what divides us instead of what unifies us, here's what I know. Your joy is decreasing. 
When, you're a, when you are a divider instead of a unifier, joy will decrease. The psalmist said it like this in Psalms 133 and verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant. This is good. This is pleasant. This brings joy. It's pleasant. It's good. When God, listen, we can't control what the world does. The world will be the world. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They don't know our Heavenly Father. But as God's people, we should live together in unity. He goes on to say about unity in, in verse number 3 in Psalms 133. It is, speaking of unity, unity is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. God puts his blessing on unity. Even life forevermore. You want abundant life? You want life and life evermore? Can I tell you, it comes from having unity. Not It comes from being a unifier, not a divider. There is no joy. There is no abundant life. There is no blessing with dividers. Come on, how many of you have some friends or some family? Every time they call you, every time you see them, you know it's going to be a bunch of mess. They're going to always start something. How many know? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, how many of you got three people coming to your mind right now? You're like, yep. Mm-hmm. Don't even want to talk to them because they're, they're, they, they, they're always keeping something going in the family. They are dividers, not unifiers. And if you want your joy to decrease, be a divider. Rank yourself. Are you a unifier or are you a divider? Number two is this. Humble, 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 humble. Humble people are unselfish. Rank yourself. Are you selfish or unselfish? Rank yourself. One, I'm very unselfish. Ten, I'm very selfish. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing, nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. That's kind of one of the themes of chapter 2. In humility, value others above yourselves. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. And many of us need to think of ourselves less. We, my wife and I, we have a, a son that's going to turn 13 this year, and we can't believe we're going to have a teenager this year. And, and when Kel was first born, and we brought him home from the hospital, and Tiffany was staying home with him, and I was working and here at the church and traveling and preaching as well. And, and I came home, and I believe it was a weekend, and Tiffany was going to be able to on a Saturday and I'd be able to go out and have some alone time and go shopping at Walmart and I'm going to keep Kel. One of the first times I'm keeping Kel. And, and to be honest with you, I, I did not like babies when I, until I had one. You know what I'm saying? And so I just, I never wanted to hold babies. I just, I'm, I just not a ba- I'm still not a baby guy, but I really wasn't a baby guy back then. You know what I mean? And so I'm keeping Kel for one of the first times and, and Tiffany leaves the house heading to Walmart to go shopping and, and I, I text her. And it seemed like an hour to me, but I texted her, said, hey, when are you heading back home? She said, I just got to Walmart. <laughs> oh. Ten minutes later, to me, it felt like an hour later. I said, hey, how's everything going at Walmart? Are you about done? Well, I just, just still got some, I'm still at Walmart time, time to shop. And, you know, about ten minutes later, because, you know, I'm looking at Kelly. He's looking at me. He's crying, pooping, acting crazy. I'm thinking, man. She was nursing. Maybe he needs, she needs to nurse. I can't help you, brother. I can't help you. know, so I'm just like, this is just nice. It's not good. Hey, Tiffany, are you, how's everything going to Walmart? You about coming? You about home? And, and I, I literally sent her three or four texts in less than an hour, her first time away from Kel. And can I tell you what was driving me was me. <laughs> I was not thinking about her. 
I didn't have her best interest in mind. I was being selfish. I was being self-centered. I was just thinking about me. I was just thinking, I've got a foreign object. I do not know what to do. I don't know how to deal with you. And I, was just, I, and, and I just consumed her with text to try to get her back home as quick as possible. Selfish. And I think a lot of us, we need to think about ourselves less and think about others more. And friends, can I tell you how to get joy sucked out of your life? Spend your life just focused on you. And your joy will decrease. Number, number three is this. It leads me to humble, humble. Humble people are unifiers. Humble people are unselfish. Number three, humble people are others focused. Rank yourself one to ten. Others focused. Are you others focused? That'd be a ten. Are you self-focused? That'd be a one. Which one are you? Where do you fall? And last week, we, we learned from Philippians chapter one that Paul tells us to be others focused in our prayers. But, but Paul goes another step in chapter 2, and he tells us to be others-focused in our actions. And I, I want you to see this, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And when we are others-focused, we're, we're not just looking out for our own interest and our own needs, what's best for us. We're looking out for what's best for others. How can, we, how can we help others be successful? How can we help others win in life? We're others focused. We're looking, how can I bless you? And humility is best seen in our actions towards others. And Jesus models this for us. So I want you to see this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. This is humility at its best. Others focus. It says, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, Jesus is God. But, but Jesus didn't use his position. He didn't use his power and authority for his own interest or just for his own benefit. He actually used his position. He used his power. He used his authority for our benefit. Notice this in verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. God became man. God put on flesh. He became nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The greatest in the kingdom is a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, the theme of the chapter, kind of one of the themes. He humbled, he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus died a horrific death on the cross because it benefited us. He did something that was very uncomfortable, took nails in his hands and his, in his feet because, for our benefit because he had our best interest in mind. And when we have the same attitude as Christ, we're willing to do other uncomfortable things for other people's benefit. Servant, humility, others-minded. And I think about people in our church who are others-minded. I think about the, the folks who serve out in the parking lot every Sunday. Can I tell you, in July and August, we don't get a lot of people signing up for the parking lot ministry. <laughs> but there are some of you that are out there every single week. It's not for your benefit. It's hot out there. It's raining some days, and I see, I can't believe I'm like the parking lot guys are still here. Some of them, some of them get here early and set up the cones and, and get everything ready. And before church ever starts, they're here serving, not, not for their own benefit because they, they're others focused. I, I think about those who serve in our kids' ministry behind the scenes. Nobody ever sees them. Nobody knows all that they're doing, and yet they're investing in our children. And I think about my four children that are benefiting 
because people are others-minded. I think about some of you who rock a baby on Sundays and, and minister to them or on a Wednesday, and you, you, you love them, and, and all a little baby does, you quote a scripture over them, and you know they don't even understand what I'm saying, and, and all they really do is poop, eat, and sleep. But you're there benefiting others and freeing up a mom or a dad to come and worship and loving. Giving a child their first experience of church is a wonderful experience of love and care. And I just think about people who are others, others, others focused. I think about people in our church that, that serve in our, our cameras and our, our media ministry. There, there are people that get here on, on our worship team. They get here early in the morning, 6.30, 7 in the morning. And they're here all day until 2 or 2.30 serving. You would never know. When you're gone, they're still here working the camera, working behind the scenes. Do, I mean, they, they are others focused. Not because they don't have anything else to do. Not because the food at the restaurant isn't really good. It's just that there are others, others, others focused. They, they, they give up to make a difference for other people. They serve every week and also worship, but they make a, their others focused. And I'm telling you, if you want to have the joy of the Lord in your life and you want to maintain it, you have to be others-focused. If you live a self-centered life all about you, only for your own interest, you will find your joy decreasing. One of my favorite events is Day of Hope. And that event, we'll have so many volunteers, we'll make up jobs for you to do. I love it because people want to come make a difference. They want to come love on people. I'm thinking that's what it's all about. It's about humbling ourselves and being others focused. And, and Paul talks about this. You see, not, not only does he give an example of Jesus, but then he gives a human example. Because some of us will say, well, well, I'm supposed to have the same attitude of, of, of G, that Jesus has, but he's Jesus. So then he makes it down to, down to another level where we can just really grasp what it looks like to be others focused. And he talks about this in Philippians 2 and verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. May, may, may people say that about us? Have no one else like him. Do people say that about you? There's nobody else like her. I'm telling you, there's nobody else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy's not about himself. I'm sending him to you because he's not going to look out for his best interest. He's going to have your best interest in mind. I have nobody else like him. Verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interest. If I send somebody else, they're going to help you, but they're going to look out for number one first. They're not going to really think about your interest. It goes on to say, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served, served, served with me in the work of the gospel. Humility is a virtue that's on the inside, but it always shows up on the outside in our actions. Humility proves itself by serving others. Humble people are others focused. Would you rank yourself? Would you rank yourself today? That we could have a winning attitude and maintain the joy of the Lord. Number two is this. There's a, there, there's a second Second kind of insight you see in this text about, about maintaining the joy of the Lord and a winning attitude that we need to have. Number two is a winning attitude doesn't complain. It doesn't complain. Notice this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, do everything. Come on, everybody, shout everything. everything. Yeah, do everything without grumbling or arguing, or that would simply mean complaining. And the Greek word here, this is really interesting as you dissect it unpack it, tear it apart. The Greek word here for everything means everything. 
Because I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, that's not what the Bible really means. Do everything without complaining, without grumbling, without arguing. It means something different than what it says. Oh, no, it doesn't. Now, I'm not there either. I haven't arrived. But that's the biblical standard is do everything without complaining. Verse 15, he goes on to say, why, why should we do everything without complaining, grumbling, arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Paul says one of the ways that we become blameless and pure is by not grumbling or arguing. Basically, he's simply saying this, if you want to be pure, stop complaining. Church at Philippi, you complain too much. Stop it. Serve God without all the grumbling and arguing and complaining. You see, instead of doing everything without complaining, most people do everything while complaining. I mean, they'll do it. Well, they're going to complain. And friends, I want you to see how complaining affected the nation of Israel. The Bible talks a lot about Israel and how they complained, especially when they came out into the desert after 400 years of slavery. And I want you to see Israel in their complaining. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10 and 11 says, and do not grumble or, or complain as some of them did, talking about Israel when they were in the desert and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So the Israelites had such a major complaining problem that some of them lost their lives. Here's what I just want you to grasp. Complaining really is a serious problem. And the Bible tells us this. It says that God captured this in the Bible, that we would learn from their example. And so let's learn why people complain from the Israelites so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Here's what I want you to know is that people complain because they don't trust God. We find that with Israel. They don't trust God. Notice in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 11. It says, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? And what I want you to understand, if you're not familiar with the story, is God had provided a literal miracle. He parted this large body of water, the Red Sea, and Israel, a million-plus people, walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. It was a miracle. God is trustworthy. They should have trusted the Lord, but instead of trusting God, when they got in the desert, all they could do was complain. And friends, that wasn't the only miracle that God performed for Israel. If you remember, God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites, and when he got there, you find in Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 12, where God performed 10 other miracles. The Nile turned to, to, turned red to blood. Then you saw the frogs. God sent the frogs on the land. And then he sent the plague of the flies. Then the plague of the lice. Then the plague of the locusts. Then the death of livestock. Then boils. Then, then, then darkness over the entire land. Then fire came from the sky. Then there was the death of the firstborn. And then God finally parted the Red Sea. And after all of these miracles, Israel gets in the desert and they don't trust God. They simply just complain. 
And when you and I live a life of complaining, you know what it simply says? I don't trust my heavenly father. And friends, I can tell you from my own life, God has been so good to me. He's done so much for me. He's changed my life. He's turned my life upside down. Many of you have the same testimony. You have the same story. You have the same, same, same kind, of, kind of highlight in your life that you could share with others that Jesus has changed my life. That's my story. That's what we call a, a testimony. That's how he's changed me. And you know what we can find ourselves doing? After all that God has done for us, all we can sometimes do is sit around and complain. We find ourselves in our own desert and we go, well, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what God's going to do. And we just complain. And it just simply reveals that we don't trust the Lord. And friends, when we find ourselves just complaining, 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 not only does it reveal that we don't trust God, but it also will cause our joy to decrease instead of increase. There's a second thing I want you to see from Israel. The Bible says we have to learn from their example. The second thing is this. People complain because they take God's blessings for granted. They take God's blessings for granted. I want you to notice this in Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 4. It says, the rabble. Now, the rabble were a group of people that went. They were not Israelites, but they went with the Israelites through the Red Sea into the desert. So they were called the rabble. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. We forgot we were slaves, but we remember that meat. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. If you don't know the story, let me remind you what's taking place here if you're not familiar with it. God brought Israel out into the desert. A miracle, performed 11 miracles. When they get in the desert, there was no food there. There was no vegetation. There were no animals or livestock to eat. And so what God literally had to do was rain down this bread called manna. Manna simply means, what is it? And it was kind of a, a bread, kind of a wafer that God rained out. Literally, the only way they ate was every day God rained out a miracle. And although God was providing them a miracle every day, all Israel could do was complain. I mean, they prayed to be delivered out of Egypt. They were, they, they wept, God, get us out of Egypt. Lord, we're tired of being slaves. 400 years, and God delivered them. He answered their prayer and brought them into the desert. Then he provided for them in a miraculous way, and all they did was take God's blessings for granted. Sick of this manna, this miracle bread. Sick of it. I don't even have any more ingredients. I don't know how else to make this manna. I mean, I've been eating every day is manna burgers and manna pasta and manna stew and manna pizza, but manna splits. Tired of, I'm tired, tired of this manna. Tired, sick of eating manna, sick of it. And they literally complained about a prayer that God answered and about miracles that God rained down from heaven. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves just like Israel. We will find ourselves 
complaining about God's blessings. We will find ourselves praying prayers and God answers our prayer and then all we do is turn around and complain to God about the manna that he provided for us in a miraculous way, about God answering our prayer. If we're not careful, we will find ourselves complaining, complaining, complaining and taking God's blessings for granted. Hear me today, some of you prayed for that spouse. You prayed to get married. Oh, Lord, I want to get married. Jesus, I'm tired of being alone. I want to be married. And you are now. And all you can do is complain. Sick of him. Sick of her. Manna, manna, I'm tired of this manna. I'm tired of you. You prayed for that spouse. You prayed to have kids. Lord, give me children. Oh, Lord, would you let me have children, Lord. Lord, I want children. Jesus provide you. And he did. You got children. And now all you can do is, these are baby's kids. I'm sick of these children. I'm tired. I'm tired of children. You're on my last nerve. And all you can do is complain. You prayed for that job. Lord, I want a job. Lord, give me a job. You, you prayed and, and God answered and he moved. And then you know, all you can say is, oh, Lord, it's Monday morning again. You, God answered your prayer. And all you do is complain. You, you prayed for that home. Lord, give me a home. Oh, Lord, I want a home. Give me a home. And God gave you a home. Now all you can do is complain. Oh, Lord, it's summer. I don't want to go out there and mow that yard. It's hot. The grass is dying. The water pipe broke. I don't want this home. You pray for that home. And if we're not careful, we will simply take God's blessings for granted and find ourselves complaining. And all complaining does is cause our joy to decrease. Listen to me. Let me tell you how to get your joy in to increase. Come on, start thanking God for his blessings. Come on. You may not have everything you want, but God has been faithful. He's met your needs. Come on, somebody. Give God praise for how good he's been to you. Come on, somebody. You woke up this morning in your right mind. God has been good to you. Come on, somebody. You got to church somehow. You might have drove a hoopty, but you're here. God has been good to you. Come on, somebody. You got clothes on your back. You ate some food today. God has been good to you. Stop taking his blessings for granted and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You have been good to me. Thank you, Lord.